Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we this morning? All right. Well, are you guys, I, I was, this sounds really bad, but I was really glad that the air quality wasn't great today since it was going to be like 110 degrees and you have to really love God to come to church and sit outside. Uh, it would be 90 some degrees by the time we got done. And so uh, we're, we were thankful. What we do is we look at it and if it's 100 or below, then we're uh, outside. If it's 100 or above, which it was today, uh, we're inside, which today is not a bad thing because it's pretty hot outside. Uh, and so whether this is your first time or not, we're just really thankful that you're here. Thank you for joining us this morning. Next week, we're going to start uh, something. Uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series. And before I dive into Ephesians, I wanted to tell you quick about it. Uh, we're going to start a series. It's going to be called Underdogs. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to, over the next four weeks, we're going to go into Scripture and we're going to look for people that needed a comeback really bad. They, they were down, they were out, they were struggling because of a variety of different things, and they needed a, a comeback, and in their story you see a comeback happen. And in our society today, and even in our region, and our city, man, people need to know that there's a way to come back. And there's, even if things aren't looking good in different areas of life, man, God can step in and really be a part of helping. And so I want to encourage you on your way out, we'll have some invite cards. I want to encourage you to pick up one or two of these and take 30 seconds of courage to invite somebody to church with you next week. Uh, you, you don't know, neither do I, what 30 seconds of courage, how that could literally change somebody's whole life by just inviting them to church. And so I want to encourage you to pick one of these up or a couple of them and take 30 seconds of courage this next week and invite somebody to join you as we start a new series called Underdog uh, this next week, September 13th. Uh, in in uh, our series that we're closing up today, we're closing up Ephesians. And as I was thinking about our series in Ephesians and the person that wrote it, the Apostle Paul, I was thinking about a guy that was really, really good and probably would have been a really good coach today. Uh, if you grew up playing sports, I grew up playing sports, a variety of different sports, and I, there were some teams I was on that were really good, and then there were some other teams I was on that weren't really good. It was We were just learning character those years, uh, and, and you probably have had, if you grew, grew up playing sports, you probably have some years where you got the trophy, and then you had some years where you got the participation award, uh, because everybody gets one of those, and, and you were thankful for that. You probably also, over the years, if you play sports, you've had some really good coaches, and then you've had some not-so-good coaches. And probably, when you think about, think about the, the good coaches that you've had, even if you didn't play in athletics, but maybe think about the great teachers you've had, maybe the great bosses you've had uh, at work, 
There's something about great coaches, great teachers, great bosses that they all have in common. And, and here's really what it is. And as you think back, you could probably say, you know what? Yeah, this, this characterizes the person I'm thinking about. A great coach, a great boss, a great mentor, a great teacher is somebody that sees potential in you that maybe you don't see. And they help you and your team move on to that potential, whether it helps them out or not. That's what a great coach does. They, they see something inside someone or they see something in a team and they say, you know what? I see that. They don't even see it, but I'm going to work really hard to help them get to where they could go because of what's inside them. And Paul was a guy, the guy that wrote Ephesians, he was a guy that probably would have been a great coach. As he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he was actually writing from prison, and he was writing to a group of people that, man, he had spent a lot of time with. These weren't just people that he spent a, a few weeks with. These are people that he spent years with, probably about three years. And so when you spend three years with somebody, you, you get to know them. They get to know you. You get to know what they struggle with, what they're good at. You really get to know them, and Paul did. And so as Paul's writing, and he's, he's writing from prison, he's probably uh, chained, literally chained up to a guard, a Roman guard while he's writing. He's writing to these people, and he knows what's inside of them because of their relationship with Jesus. He knows what they have because of their relationship with Jesus, and he really wants to help them understand what they have and apply it to the different areas of their life. And so he does, for the first half of, the, of his letter, he talks about all they have in their relationship with Jesus, and then the second half of the letter, he talks about how what they have applies to their employer-employee relationship, how it applies to their marriage, how it applies to every area of their life. And Paul's desire was he wanted to see these people understand what was in them, and he wanted to see them Really grab hold of it and live it out. And as he's closing out this letter, I want you to think about when you're closing out a letter, if you ever write letters anymore, maybe you're closing out an email or a text message, that the last few things that you say are, are important usually. Like, like if you're writing a letter, you think about how you're going to close out the letter. And, and Paul, he's about to close out his letter. And, and there's one truth that he really wants these people that he loves dearly to really grab hold of. And, and here's what he was thinking about. He said, he said this. This was really the game-changing truth that he wanted to really press in the last few sentences of his letter. And it's simply this. Though the enemy is real, you are equipped to walk in victory. As he's closing out his letter, he wants them to understand that though their enemy is real, they are equipped to walk in victory. They're equipped to have spiritual success in their life, even though they live in a city that it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus in. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he starts the, the final part of his letter to really get this idea across. Uh, look at verse 10. It'll be up on the screen, or you could see it there in your app. It says this. Finally, and, and usually, especially preachers, and you know this, when a preacher says finally, he, he means absolutely nothing by it. 
And you know that. Like they say, oh, finally, or I'm going to land the plane here. And it's like, dude, the plane keeps taking off because you're not landing the plane. Well, Paul, he said, hey, finally, and he really meant finally. He's about to land the plane and really help them understand this idea that though the enemy is real, you can still walk in victory. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Basically, what Paul's saying is, hey, you can be strong. You can overcome sin. You don't have to walk through life defeated every single day. You can do this, but you can't do it alone. You can, you can have victory, but you can only do it in the power that you have because of your relationship with Jesus. When I was growing up, one of the cartoons that I liked watching, and I think this was probably a mom that wanted her kids to eat their vegetables. She was the one that probably made this cartoon character. But his name was Popeye. And, and if you, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I know you can still watch it, but it was actually a show that was on quite a bit when I was a kid. You, you know the whole story. I mean, Popeye, every single episode's exactly the same, just like The Incredible Hulk. Like every episode of The Incredible Hulk was exactly the same. You were just waiting for somebody to make him mad. So he turned green, got really big, and beat everybody up. Well, Popeye was the same way. He was this, this weakling, kind of wimp sailor guy. And, and in the midst of uh, dealing with a guy by the name of Brutus, usually, he, he decided that he needed to take out Brutus or Brutus did something wrong. And so Popeye, and you know this, he would go over to the like the vegetable aisle and he would pick out spinach and he would eat his spinach and then all of a sudden this little weakling sailor became this strong guy and he he was able to beat up whoever and again I, I think it was probably a ploy by a mom that wanted their kid to eat spinach because I ate spinach probably you did too because you probably thought oh man if it worked for Papa maybe it'll work for me but Popeye was on in his own in himself he was a weakling he didn't have power on his own. There was something on the outside that went on the inside that actually gave him the power. And it was spinach. For, for the follower of Jesus, Paul's saying, hey, you can be strong. You can have victory. You don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live waking up every morning feeling guilty. But you can only do it with a power that's not of yourself. It's Jesus' power, and it's now on the inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, be strong. And then what Paul does, he's like a, a general that's sitting down with his troops before the battle, and he, he wants to explain to them a little bit about their enemy and a little bit about the tools or equipment they have to fight this battle. And he says this in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And here's what Paul, he's, Paul wasn't a guy, he didn't downplay the role of Satan and the enemy, but here's what he didn't do. He didn't give the enemy too much credit either. He said, yeah, man, Satan, he's a schemer. He, he's out there to lie to you. He wants to take you down. He wants to stop God's work in you. The, the battle you're fighting isn't a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. But he didn't give Satan too much credit either. 
And he said to him, he says, hey, your enemy's real, and he's a schemer, and we're not going to downplay him, but we're not going to blame him for everything either. Sometimes you're just stupid, and that's why you do things, not because of Satan. Sometimes we, like, stub our toe. Oh, there was a demon there. Something made me stub my toe. No, you probably just should have turned the light on. It wasn't a demon. It was just you. And sometimes we give Satan a little bit too much credit because Satan is not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-present, but he is a real enemy. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to know about your enemy. I want you to know that your enemy is a schemer, he's a liar, and you wrestle with him. That word wrestle is this idea of hand-to-hand combat. You, You wrestle with him, but what you're wrestling with, it's not physical, it's spiritual. But... Though the enemy is real, you are equipped to walk in victory. And so he says this, and remember where Paul's at, and remember who he's probably chained to when he writes this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. As Paul's sitting there finishing his letter, with maybe literally the hand that he's writing with chained to a Roman guard. He's writing and he looks over and he says, put on the whole armor of God. And and he's looking at this Roman soldier. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, he didn't say you need to like go take Satan out. Like you don't have to go on the offense. He didn't say you have to cower or be afraid, but here's what he said. I don't need you to take Satan out, and I don't need you to be cowardly and afraid of him. I just want you to stand like a soldier who is just holding the line. You don't have to cower, and you don't have to go on the offense against him. That's God's job. He's already taken care of him. You're supposed to stand and not back down. You're not supposed to give up the line. But in order to do that, you've got to, like the soldier, put on the whole armor of God. And if you know anything about Roman soldiers, the Roman army was the largest and most powerful by far in the ancient world. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the the Roman army dominated the world. The the type of uh, soldier, there was a few types of soldiers, but the legionnaires were the, the top soldiers that you could be in the Roman army. And in order to be a legionnaire, you had to be 17. You had to commit for 25 years at least. You had to be a certain height. You had to be a certain fitness level. And if you weren't, you could be another part of the army and there were other places. But in order to be a legionnaire, you had to be this. You had to be elite. And then what they would do is they would train you. They would help you learn a discipline and they would equip you and and these soldiers these soldiers were the type of guys that could literally with full armor on hike for 20 miles they were highly disciplined the, these guys were, were guys that they did not go against commands like it wasn't a when the commander said something you didn't go against it they respected authority because if you were to even fall asleep on your watch you could be killed for that So this was not, they didn't mess around. These were highly trained, highly disciplined, a fighting machine like the world had not seen. 
And as Paul is, he knows this. He, he understands this is his culture. He looks at that Roman soldier and he thinks about how like a soldier puts on their armor before battle, we need to put on what's available to us, the armor available to us, so that we can stand. And he says this in verse 14, he says this, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. He's looking at that soldier, he sees his belt, and the belt was a very important piece of armor because it was the piece of armor that held everything else together. It was also the place where the sword was held. And Paul says, I want you to put on the belt of truth. And basically what he's saying is, a follower of Jesus is a person of truth. They're characterized by integrity. They're characterized by a clean conscience. They don't have to be afraid because they lied yesterday and they're wondering, oh, do I have to make up something to cover up that lie? They can just stand. They can have a clear conscience because of the belt of truth. They're known by integrity. And that allows them to stand you know this just like I do, man. If, you're, if you've ever had a time in your life where you really struggled with lying, like you probably walk through life nervous a lot. Like who's going to find out or, you know, did I tell this lie enough or did I make that up because I got to cover up this other thing? And, and Paul says, no, 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 you, you wear the belt of truth because you, you're known by integrity. You're known by truth. And because of that, you can stand. But then he says this as he's looking at the soldier, he says, not only the belt of truth, but he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a very, very important part of armor because it covered the vital organs. Uh, it was made up of metal plates or chains, and it would cover from the neck to the, like, the stomach to the waist, and it would cover the front and the back. And it was the thing that stopped arrows and I mean it, it covered the heart and all the things that if man if you get messed up in some of these areas your life ends pretty quick it covered those it was a very important part of armor and Paul says hey you need to put on the the belt of truth but also the the breastplate of righteousness is really important if you're going to stand see Paul what he's referring to is he's referring to the righteous life of someone who follows Jesus so if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know some, some of you here, you're investigating faith, maybe you're, you're not sure what you believe, but for those of you that have said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I believe that Jesus died, that he rose again, and I've started a relationship with him, when that happened, here's, here's what happened, this is the greatest trade in the history of the world. Basically what Jesus did is he said, I will trade you my righteousness, my holiness, my Total pureness, I'm going to give you that from me and I'll take your sinfulness. Let's trade. And so he traded his righteousness for our sinfulness. And, and here's what Paul's saying. When you apply the righteousness that you have, that's what you've been given. You have the power to walk in a way that pleases God. When, when, you, when you do that, you're much more able to stand against the devil against the enemy but when we choose and we all have let's i mean if we were raising our hand right now every hand probably both my hands would have to go up because there's times where we choose to go against god's best and we decide to live unrighteous lives and here's what we do we open ourselves up to the enemy's work and paul says 
you have righteousness. It's not your, you've been given righteousness. You can walk in a way that pleases God. And when you choose not to, you're basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to take the, the, the breastplate off and all my vital organs are going to be exposed and I'm going to battle. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. But then he says this. Again, he's, he's looking and he's, He's probably been looking at this soldier for a while because he's been in prison and usually they would, they would trade out soldiers about every four to eight hours so he'd get a new guy uh, that, would, that would be there. But man, he's, he's been looking at a soldier in armor for, for a long time. And he says, okay, the, the, the belt of truth, that's important. The breastplate of righteousness, that's real important. But he says this in verse 15, he says, and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier, this is really interesting, they would wear sandals, and in their sandals, at, on the bottom obviously, there would be like nails. So not sticking up into the foot, but sticking down. And, and what that did is that the nails that were in the soles gave them much better, more stable footing. And, and Paul, what he's saying, is he's saying, you know what? The gospel does that for a follower of Jesus because it's the source of peace because you have peace with God. Think about it. When you're not at peace in a relationship, you don't feel stable. Like when you're thinking, all right, I think she likes me. And I, I yeah, I, I, I mean, I think she was looking at me. I, 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 okay, I'm going to go, going to ask her out. Like you, there's butterflies inside because you're not sure the you're not really sure where the relationship stands. You you kind of think it's going to work out, and so you go to ask and, and hopefully they say yes. But until you hear that okay, this is going to work out and the relationship's good, man, you, you're not stable. You're probably like like you're probably slurring your words while you're talking to them. You're making a fool of yourself because you're not stable. Or and this is this is something we would all understand. It's Friday afternoon. And you get this like 4.45 email from the boss that says, hey, I need to see you first thing Monday morning. It's really important. No explanation. And you're like, I think I'm doing a good job. I, 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 what could he want to say to me? I, don't, I, I mean, am I in trouble? And, and all, all weekend long, this is hanging over your head because you don't know if like they're going to give you a raise or if they're going to fire you if you did something you weren't supposed to. And so, man, it's, you're, you're unstable all weekend long because that relationship, you're not sure where it stands. And for some people, their relationship with God, they're not sure where it stands. And so they wake up some days and they feel guilty and they feel unstable. And here's what Paul's saying. Be because of what Jesus did on the cross, because Jesus took your sin, and because Jesus gave you righteousness, you can walk through life on firm footing. You can walk through life knowing that I am unconditionally loved by an all-powerful, all-knowing God that can never love me more or less, no matter what I am or how I act. And, and that's, that gives stability when you know that, man, on my worst day, God loves me the same as on my best day. And it has nothing to do with me, but it has to do with my relationship with Jesus. And Paul says, just like that soldier, he's got the, the shoes on and that gives him stability as they're traveling and as they're marching and they would march for miles and miles. 
The gospel gives you security. It gives you stability. You can know, you can wake up tomorrow and know, I am unconditionally loved by a perfect heavenly father because of Jesus. And that brings stability. And then Paul says, he says, he, the, the belt, he's talked about the breastplate, then he's talked about the, the shoes, and then he says this in verse 15. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so a Roman soldier, what they would have is they would have this, it would be made of wood and it would be covered with like a really tough leather. And it's just probably, it's about four feet, four feet by two feet, the shield. And they, and if you've seen movies that do a good job really showing you what it was really like, I mean, you, you've seen these shields. And it's extremely intimidating to the enemy because all these shields would line up and they would, they would the fiery darts would be shot at them and all arrows would be shot and this kind of thing. And these, these shields were so important because four feet by two feet, if you got behind it, you were going to be protected. And he says, you as a follower of Jesus, your faith, your trusting God is your shield. It's what stops the arrows. It's what stops the fiery darts from getting to you. See, our faith or trust in the promises of God is, is really the power and it's really our shield. And, and here's something that is real important that you remember. When we believe God, it takes the power away from the enemy. Like when you believe God, when you believe that what God says is true and I'm going to follow his path, you are taking power away from the enemy just like that shield was. You're stopping fiery darts. But here's what happens. Let's be honest. A lot of, a lot of times in life we say, you know what, I'm going to believe God in these two or three areas, but there's a couple areas that, you know what, and I wouldn't say this out loud, but I honestly think my way is better than God's. And so, yeah, I'm going to believe God in a few areas, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing in these areas, and I'm not going to believe God. And what you're doing is you're basically setting down your shield, and you're walking right into the fiery darts that the enemy's shooting at you. See, when we believe God about money, it takes away the enemy's power to tempt us with greed. When we believe God about sex, it takes away the enemy's power to bring you down with pornography and, and sex outside of marriage. It, it brings you down when you don't do things God's way. When, when we believe God about leadership, it takes the enemy's power to tempt you to be selfish and lazy and manipulative in your role at work. When we believe God, we hand, when we don't believe God, we hand power over to the enemy. And it's important that we know that. It's important that we not pretend. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. Like, you're off the hook. But if you're someone that's a follower of Jesus and desires to live a faithful, victorious life, then when you decide not to believe God, and when you decide, and we all do this to say, you know what, my way's better this time, you're handing power over to the enemy. And probably if we had time, because we, we're a very transparent church. We could probably, and we won't do this, so don't be afraid. But we, we could probably go around this room and we could, would have people that could e share testimonies and say, yep, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you about the, the baggage 
and the scars and the things in my life because I didn't believe God's way was best. We could all probably tell stories about that. And here's what Paul's saying. He's looking at this soldier. He's saying, man, just like that shield is so important to protect from the enemy, you need to put on faith. You need to believe God, and that will stop the enemy's darts. That will stop the enemy's uh, getting after you. When we say that our way is better, we hand power over to the enemy. And then he says this. He says a few more things. He says, take on the, the helmet of salvation. So the helmet... And probably some of you, when you were a little kid, you might have had like an army helmet, that, like a play one. Well, they had an important helmet uh, it, that was well made, and it was made on purpose in certain ways to protect their, their head, because obviously if you get hit in the head with like an arrow or something like that, it's not going to go well. And so they needed something to protect their head. And so Paul, as he's looking at the soldier, he says, you put on the helmet of salvation, one of Satan's most destructive tactics is to make you if you're a follower of jesus doubt your salvation there's some that and maybe you've experienced this in your own life where you you have woke up in the middle of the night or you've gone through seasons of your life and you think man i think i have a relationship with god but i'm not sure did i really mean it when i when i talk to god and ask him to save me and and you you go through all this and because of that man satan just gets into your mind and what Paul's saying is that helmet of salvation, there's security in your decision to follow Jesus. If you truly believe the gospel that Jesus died, rose from the grave, and you have asked him to come into your life and transform you, then just like you couldn't get it yourself, you can't lose it yourself. And Paul says that helmet of salvation... That security knowing that even on my bad days, I don't get salvation snatched away. Because again, if I could earn it, I could lose it. And because I didn't earn it, what makes me think I'm strong enough to lose it? And, and, and all throughout the New Testament, there's different passages that talk about, man, when, when we are transformed on the inside by Jesus that salvation, that place in heaven that's secured for us. God doesn't use that to like, oh, I'm going to pull this out or give it back or pull it out. No, it's yours. And Paul said that helmet of salvation is so important. And then the last thing he does is he, he talks about the one offensive weapon. If you think everything that he's explained, it's always been defensive. He talked about the belt. He's talked about the breastplate, talked about the shoes and the shield and the helmet. Those are all things that are defensive, but you, you need an offensive weapon as well. And so he says, and a Roman soldier, they're offensive. They had a few offensive weapons, but one of the things that they all had was they had a, a short sword. Because these guys, like I said, they were elite soldiers. Like, you did not want to mess with a Roman soldier. They were trained killers, trained war I mean, like, that's what they did. When they weren't fighting, they were training to fight. That's just what they did all their life. And they had these swords, these short swords that were, I mean, they could take you out, cut you up, and you wouldn't even know what happened to you. They're really good with them. And, and Paul says, I want you to take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and here's what Paul says he says you have one weapon and it's the word of God you have one sword 
And you're not supposed to use your sword to beat people over the head like we do, but you're supposed to use your sword as a way to help you stand against the evil one. Sometimes in the church world, like we're really good, and I'm sorry if you've ever experienced this, of using this book as a hammer to just beat people over the head and make them feel guilty. And Paul wasn't saying, like, here's your club to beat on people that don't totally believe the way you do. He said, no, here's your sword to fight against the enemy. Yeah, we should always teach truth, and the Holy Spirit takes truth and applies it to our heart, and he, he does the work, and so we want to be faithful to teach the truth. But this sword is a sword that we're to use against the enemy. And if you think about, if you read through the Gospels of, of Jesus, think, if anybody like didn't need help, I would say like the guy that is 100% God and 100% man, he probably was okay. But even when he faced the enemy, when he had interactions with Satan, if you look at how he interacted with Satan, he didn't argue with him. He just gave him scripture. He just like, hey, Satan, you remember when Isaiah said this and you remember when this said this and he just gave scripture because that was the, and the enemy just stopped because it's a sword. It convicts it encourages it gives direction. It brings comfort. It saves people. The sword. And as Paul, he's finishing up. I mean, he's got literally just a few more little things to write. He's just finished talking about this soldier and the different parts of his equipment and how they're so vital for someone that's a follower of Jesus because they can be victorious just like that soldier, but they've got to put the equipment on that's available to them. The way he closes his letter is he talks about what is probably the most important tool available, and it's really the tool that makes everything else powerful. And it's prayer. He says this in verse 18. He says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert, and, and with all perseverance, make supplications for all the saints. Basically, Paul's saying, pray, pray. Pray, pray boldly, pray, just pray. Paul was a guy that, man, he, he prayed a lot. And, and we make this like prayer thing like this, like only really spiritual people that can use really big words that probably get to God faster than normal people. Like we, we put prayer on this pedestal and, and prayer is just talking to God. And Paul says, you need to pray, you need to pray for people. You, you need to make prayer a priority in your life. Because again, you are in a battle. And you need to talk to the commander quite a bit in battle. Talk to God. Pray. And then here's what's interesting. Paul believed in this so much, he said, hey, would you pray for me? Look what he asked for. Because you think, you're in prison, you're Paul. Like you're chained up in prison. You've been there for a while. You're not sure when you're going to get out. What do you think you would ask people to pray for? Like, there's a pretty obvious thing, like, oh, you know what I would probably pray for? That I get out of here. Like, so please pray that something happens and I get out of here. Well, look at what Paul asked for prayer for. He said this, and also for me, so pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul did not pray for delivery. He prayed for boldness. Sometimes we look at, and I'm the worst, we look at circumstances like, oh man, how did I get into this? God, get me out of this quick. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm actually an ambassador for Christ in chains. I'm God's representative in jail. And and so I'm not asking to get out. I don't need like a a, a comfier cell. I just need boldness. I need the right words to say so that I can be a good ambassador for Jesus. So that I can use this opportunity to tell people about a relationship with Jesus. Please pray for me. That was Paul's desire. Is he wanted boldness. Like, Like the people Paul was probably writing to. And you could probably relate with this. It's easy, as as much as Paul's writing and he he wants to see them have victory because he's saying, though the enemy's real, you're equipped to walk in victory. Isn't it easy, if we're honest, to walk through life defeated? To walk through life hopeless? To walk through life with huge questions and not having those answers, and then that affecting our life. And, and we're really good. I mean, we're professional. Like, we, we can make people think everything's good, but inside, we're struggling. And, and Paul's writing to a group of people that he knew were just like that. Man, though they, they had all this truth, and man, they had literally Paul as a friend, and he had spent time with them. They struggled with hopelessness. They struggled with temptation. They struggled, struggled with walking through life victorious, even though they knew they had all the equipment. They had the ability. They could be victorious. It was still hard, just like you and I. And so here's, here's a couple questions. That as we think about this statement, the enemy is real, but we are equipped to walk in victory. Okay, that's a cute statement, but let's get like real. Because here's the two questions that will really tell us what that statement says about our own life. And and here's the first one. Do I want to live a victorious life? Like, that's a real good question. Not not do I want a comfortable life, but but do I want to live a victorious life? See, Paul has just described what a victorious life looks like. It's, it's a life, he's just written a whole letter about it where you've been transformed by Jesus on the inside and that affects how you treat people in all types of relationships. And now he's closing out saying, okay, I've told you all this. Now, now you take it and you have the equipment available. Everything's there, but you've got to want it. And for some of us, I don't want to assume that we really want to live a victorious life. You might be watching online or you might be here and you say, honestly, I just want it to be comfortable. The idea of one day standing before God and hearing, well done, that's not really a big concern for me. And so if that's you, then you can kind of write off all this. But if you're the type of person that says, hey, I want my marriage, I want my relationships, I want them to be transformed by the relationship I have with Jesus. I want to get to the end of my life and I want to have lived a victorious, successful, impacting life. Then it's important that you know that. So do do we want to live a victorious life? And, And then here's the second question that it would lead to. 
Why haven't I lived a victorious life? If I want to, why don't I? If inside of me that's what I desire, then why don't I? And I would guess it's the same reason I don't sometimes. Because you and I try to live life in our own power. Which goes back to the very first verse that we talked about where Paul said, hey, you can live in victory. You can stand. But you can't do it alone. If you're, if you're a person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, then, then the power that Paul's talking about, it's, it's not available till you have a relationship with Jesus. And so for you, man, it would be, if this is something that you buy into, it would be, hey, I need to start a relationship with Jesus so this power is available to me. But, but for the others of us that you'd say, hey, I already have a relationship with Jesus, the, the reason that we don't do well and the reason that we continue to fall and aren't victorious is because we try to do life on our own and it's simply because we don't trust God. Like we, we just, we don't believe God and so we don't use the power that's available to us. And so maybe, maybe you're there, okay, I'll start trusting God. Okay, if that's all it is, I'll work a little harder, I'll trust God, and everything will go well. But if, if we're honest, haven't we tried that before? Haven't we tried the work harder kind of process? Yeah, I'll just work harder, I'll buckle down more, and if I do that, it's all take care of itself, I'll walk victorious. But haven't we tried that before? Has that worked? Has that worked for you, the work harder way? Has that helped you in your marriage? Has that helped your kids? Just, hey, let's buckle down and follow Jesus. Let's do it. Does that, for me, that hasn't worked. And here's why I think it hasn't worked, and I want to close with this. See, we're equipped to walk in victory, but we need close relationships with others who are trying to do the same thing. Because I think a lot of times the reason we don't walk in victory, it's not because we're not equipped. It's because we're not surrounded with people that want to walk in victory as well. That we help and help us. Here, here at City Walk, and, and is this a shameless plug for city groups? Yes, 100%. At City Walk, we have, in fact, we're starting in two weeks. We have six city groups starting. We have the, that's the most... Uh, we think of the most we've ever had is four. We're starting six. And the reason we're starting these city groups is because we believe it's really important that we not walk alone. It's really important if we're going to live a victorious life that we walk with other people. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you to join a city group, whether you're a, a college student or you're a senior adult, we have groups for you. They meet throughout the week in different parts of our city. And, and they usually, and this is great, they eat. And if you, if you come to mine, we're doing tacos every Tuesday night. And the other ones do tacos too, so I'm not saying, that you don't have to come to mine for that. Uh, but, but they eat, they spend time together, and then they, all they do is they take a few questions from this week's message and they discuss them. And you say, oh, I don't feel like I know the Bible enough to be a part of that. You don't have to know the Bible you have to like, like to eat tacos or like to eat and hang out with people because you don't have to be. We had, we had people in our group this past that had, had 
been to Bible school and, and knew a lot about the Bible. And we had other people in our group that, man, they last year were a drug dealer and they're, they came back to Jesus and now they're walking with God and, and everything in between. And so I'd encourage you to not listen to Satan and say, no, I'm going to try to do this thing on my own. Join a group. Don't walk alone. Because the enemy is real, but you're equipped to walk in victory. If you walk alone, it's going to be tough. One of the things that made the Roman army so devastating and so terrifying to their enemies is, remember those shields I told you about? The way they were built on the edges, they were built to hook together. And so what they could do, and you maybe have seen this in movies, is they could latch their shields together. And so now... The, 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 the picture is just, it's powerful. And you can see why enemies would be extremely intimidated. Like you see, you don't see like one shield coming towards you. You see like a mile of shield coming towards you because they're together. There's no arrow going to get through that. It was so intimidating. They were so powerful because of their unity and together this, togetherness. They destroyed other armies. If other armies were even willing to fight because of their unity. And so this is the last thing I want to say. You're never meant to walk alone, so don't. If you've walked alone, then you've probably walked, and I, I don't mean to be like too straightforward, but you've probably lost a lot. If you've tried to do the Christian thing of, you know what, I'm just going to make it me and Jesus. That probably doesn't work out well. Because nobody knows about the pornography you're looking at. Nobody knows about the struggles in your marriage. Nobody knows about all this stuff. But when you walk with other people, then here, here's what, it, what, what happens. You get to know that, you know what? I'm not perfect. I get to know, you know what? You're not perfect. And we get to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And that's what New Testament Christianity is all about. Let's pray. Lord. I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote. Lord, just such a, a great a letter for us 2,000 years after he wrote it. And Lord, I pray as we have people in here and watching online that uh, some have been following you for a long time. Lord, others are investigating faith and maybe aren't even sure what they believe. But Lord, I pray that the thing that we take away today, maybe above all, is that we're equipped to walk in victory. Yes, the enemy is real. Yes, the enemy would like nothing more than to take us out. But you are so much more powerful than our enemy. You have already won the war. And we have the ability to walk in victory if we will just use what you've given us. And Lord, I pray for each person in here, whether they're a teenager, whether they're a grandparent, a single mom, Lord, that they would understand the importance of not walking through life alone. God, I pray that they would join a group just like I'm going to join a group. And God, I pray that this next eight to ten weeks of city groups would be transformative to our personal lives, to our marriages, to our families. In Jesus' name, amen.